Well, obviously, I'm not Pastor Ross. You guys know I've been telling you all morning he's at the marriage retreat. And so since he's gone, he's given me this incredible privilege, honor, and opportunity to be able to speak into your lives, to be able to speak the Word of God. So thank you so much for allowing me to do that this morning. So turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 for our Bible study. Take a little break from the end of the world. It's nice to take a little break every now and then from that. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that your word is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, that your word is inspired and that it's profitable for us for for correction, for for teaching, for, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God can be equipped for every good work. And so I pray this morning that your word would go out, not just in, in word only, but in a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that your church would be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? All right, well, my family and I have been going to this fellowship now for three and a half, four years. And since we've been here, God has brought, ab- brought about an incredible surge in numerical growth. When we first started coming here, the church was about 200 people, and we were meeting out at the Sebastopol Community Center. Since then, it's doubled, practically tripled in size. It's five, 600 people now. But more important than that, God has brought about an incredible surge in spiritual growth and in spiritual maturity. People are getting saved in this place on a regular basis. And those people who are getting saved are being delivered from sin. They're being discipled. They're being loved by the people of God. In this fellowship, there is a hunger for his word. There is a hunger to serve Jesus Christ. Think about what God is doing in this fellowship. We have to have two services on Sunday morning because it's so packed out with people eager to hear his word. In the middle of the week, people are taking time out of their life to come to a midweek Bible study. On top of all of that, some of you are coming to church three or four times a week for men's and women's Bible studies. We have a junior high and a senior high ministry that are solid a young adults ministry that is filled with people who love Jesus and who want to serve him. We have a ministry for women who are alone. We have an awesome outreach ministry here in this fellowship, a convalescent ministry, a street evangelism ministry, a Redwood Gospel Mission ministry. We have a recovery ministry. We have a food pantry. We're doing lots of things here. God is working in our midst. We are a fruitful and a strong fellowship. And with that being said, that makes us a target, a bullseye for the enemy. He does not like what God is doing here. And so he is seeking, our enemy, the devil, and his angels are seeking to destroy the work of God in this fellowship, seeking to kill the work of God in this fellowship, and seeking to steal from the work of God in this fellowship. He wants to take us out. And so I ask a question, how do we protect our fellowship? 
How do we continue to be a strong fellowship and a fruitful fellowship and to become even more so? Well, the answer to those questions is found in our text today in Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell in the year A.D. 60-62. And he's writing to Christians in the city of Coloss, which is about 100 miles east of the city of Ephesus there in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. Now, Paul had himself never been to Coloss. But their pastor, Epaphras, had traveled all the way to Rome to share with Paul what God was doing in them. And I can just imagine him standing before Paul and saying, Paul, you'll never guess what God is doing in Coloss. We've planted a church. It's growing numerically. It's growing spiritually. People are being saved. People are being delivered. People are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. There's a hunger for the word of God. There's a hunger to serve Jesus Christ. Ministries are popping up all over. We've got an outreach ministry. We've got a kids ministry. We've got Bible studies. God, God is doing stuff here, Paul. But also, the enemy is attacking Paul. Heresy is trying to make its way into our fellowship. The ungodly influence of our culture is trying to creep in. So what do we do, Paul? I need some counsel. And Paul says, this is what we need to do. We need to pray. We need to be praying for one another. Pray that the people will continue to understand that which is most important in this life. And that is knowing God and knowing his will. Because when they know God and they know his will, then they will live in a manner that is worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And if we here at the rock follow the example that the Apostle Paul laid down by praying for one another, then we too will continue to be a strong and fruitful fellowship and to become even more so. Amen? So let's read our text, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light." For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So that's our text for this morning. And we're going to look at two thoughts. Thought number one is praying for one another. And then thought number two is the impact of those prayers. So let's look at thought number one, praying for one another. You'll notice in verse 9, that Paul has a threefold approach 
to prayer. He has a reason that he's praying. He has a frequency in his prayer. And he has a strategy in his prayer. Amen? So first, let's look at the reason he's praying. He says, for this reason. This is why I am praying. And so we ask ourselves, well, why, Paul? Why are you praying? What is the reason that you are praying? Well, in verse 4 of the preceding text, Paul tells us that, that he has heard of their faith. He has heard of the Colossians' faith in Jesus Christ, and he has heard of their love for all the saints, and this has inspired him. He knows because of their faith, he knows because of their love for one another, that they are genuine, born-again Christians, because the only way someone becomes a Christian is if they believe in Jesus, and the only way someone loves the way that they are loving is if they have Christ in their heart. So he knows they're genuine. He knows there are people that have been called out of darkness into God's glorious light. He knows that at one time these people were spiritual orphans, but now, because of their faith in Jesus, they've been adopted into God's family. They are God's children. And that being so, they are his brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so he senses this, this duty, this responsibility before God to be praying for them. They're his family. I mean, how could I not pray for them? They're my brothers and sisters. They're my family. We're all going to heaven, and we're all facing the same battle, the same struggles. We've got the world trying to take us out. We've got the devil trying to take us out. We have our own sinful nature that is trying to lead us away from God. I need to be praying for my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, just about anywhere in the scriptures that we see the Apostle Paul communicating with other Christians, he is always praying for them. A couple of examples for you guys, and there's many, by the way. I'm sure you guys are aware of that. But in praying and talking to the Romans, Romans 1, 8, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I'm thinking about you guys, and I'm praying for you. And then to the Christians in Thessalonica, he says, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. So Paul is a man that is always praying for his brothers and sisters in the Lord. But he's not just praying for them. He's also exhorting them to be praying for one another. A couple of examples in writing to the Ephesians. He says, hey guys, you need to be making supplication for all the saints. And then writing to Timothy in, in his first book to Timothy, chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. I urge you to do this, to be praying for one another. And then James jumps in and says, hey guys, you need to be praying for one another in chapter 5 of his letter. So prayer is uh, an essential and important ministry that each and every single born-again Christian needs to be involved in. So important, so essential that, that the Son of God Jesus Christ is actively involved in it. Jesus is praying for all of his people, for his brothers and sisters, 
today. He was praying for them yesterday, and he'll be praying for them tomorrow. He's praying for each and every single one of us, just as Hebrews 7.25 says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is praying for us. The Bible says that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of the living God, intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So Jesus is always praying for us. The Holy Spirit is always praying for us. Paul was always praying for Christians. And we, too, need to be always praying for one another. I can think of 200 reasons this morning why we should be praying. Look around you. Your brothers and sisters in the Lord, to your left and to your right. We need one another's prayers, and that's part of the key to a strong and fruitful fellowship. So he's praying because they're his brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's his duty. It's his responsibility before God, but also because it demonstrates his love for them, and it demonstrates his concern for them. I can think of uh, of. of no better way for someone to let me know that they love me. It, it, it doesn't ring any better in my heart than this. When someone says to me, hey, Jim, coming from a brother and sister in the Lord, hey, Jim, I'm praying for you. It lets me know that that person cares for me, that they really do love me that they're concerned about my life, that they're concerned about my walk with God, that they want me to do well, that they want me to live in holiness, that they want me to honor God, that they want me to have that rich entrance into God's eternal kingdom, that they want me to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, that they want me to be richly rewarded. When someone says that to me, I'm praying for you, I translate that, I love you, Jim. Uh, a couple of examples. Ernie. Ernie, the other day, I bumped into Ernie, and uh, he said, I found out that you're preaching this week. I just want you to know that uh, we're praying for you. And I translated that as, we care about you. We want you to do well. We love you. A couple weeks ago, I was out in front of the church, and I was uh, talking with Chip Rawson, and he, you guys know Chip, wonderful man. He was encouraging me in the Lord. And uh, at the end of our conversation, he just asked if he could pray for me. And he stuck his arm on my shoulder and we bowed our heads and he prayed a blessing into my life. And I just knew that this guy really cares. He's not just talk. He really cares for me. A few weeks ago, a couple guys and myself, we went down to the World Series to share the gospel on a Wednesday night. And it was a phenomenal experience. I came back the next day here to the church and I heard through the grapevine that Pastor Ross had made that known to all of you and that he prayed for us and that he encouraged you guys to pray for us. And I just thought, man, that is awesome. This church really cares because they pray. So when we pray, 
We're letting people know that we care for them. And more importantly, we're letting God know that we care for them. We're bringing our prayers before God and we're saying, God, we love these people. And because we love them, we're praying for them because we want you to work in their life. So Paul is praying because it's his duty, it's his responsibility, this is my family. He's praying because he loves them, but also he's praying because God loves them. And because God wants to bless his people and he uses the prayers of his people to move and to work in their lives. You see, prayer is not some futile spiritual exercise where we're just tossing words up into the universe, crossing our fingers, closing our eyes, hoping that somehow, some way, these things are going to come true. Prayer is not that at all. But when we're praying, we're coming before a throne in heaven. The Bible says it's a throne of grace. We're coming before a God who loves us so much that he did not spare his only son and he wants to freely give us all things. He wants to bless his people. We're coming before a God who can do immeasurably more than all we could ask Or imagine a God who says, I care for you so much. Cast your cares upon me. Bring your requests before me. So Paul is praying because it's his duty, because he loves and and because God loves. So much can be accomplished, you guys, through prayer. God wants to use your prayers to bless this fellowship, and not only this fellowship, but the world. So let's be a people who pray. So he has a reason that he's praying. Now let's look uh, at uh, his frequency in prayer. He says, we have not stopped. We have not stopped. So Paul is praying all the time for the saints. This doesn't mean that he's on his knees 24-7 with his hands lifted high because that would be impossible. He's chained to a Roman guard. It simply means whenever you come to my mind, whenever I think about you, whenever I get in a conversation and you come up, I pray for you. And this is so practical for us. Whenever we think about someone, whenever someone comes up in a conversation, all we have to do is translate that thought into a prayer to God. For example, you met somebody new, they're brand new to the fellowship, and you've been thinking about them today. Oh man, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder if they're getting plugged in. I wonder how their kids are doing back in the kids' ministry. Instead of just thinking about it now, commit it to God in prayer. I pray for Jason, I pray for Amy, that they would be plugged in, that they'd find their place in this fellowship, that they would grow strong in the Lord. Amen? Now notice something interesting, I thought. He says... We have not stopped. You see, Paul was not alone in Rome. Colossians chapter 4 tells us that Timothy was with him, Tychicus, Onesimus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. All of these people were coming together to pray coming together to pray for one another. They were having prayer meetings, church 
prayer meetings because they believed in the value and the importance and the power of prayer. Acts 2.42 says that the early church was devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. That's an incredible statement. The early church was devoted to prayer. Now, because of that, God worked incredible wonders in their midst. One example is in the book of Acts chapter 12. James had just been killed with a sword, and Peter is arrested by Herod, the ruler in that area. And he is intending to bring him out for a public trial, to humiliate him, to mock him, to ridicule him, and then to have him put to death. But the Bible says this right there, right after that, in verse 5, it says, But the church was earnestly praying for him. But the church was earnestly praying for him. You see, you got to watch out when God's people get together and start praying. So the church is getting together. They're having these prayer meetings. They're interceding for their brother in the Lord. And what happens because of that? An angel shows up and busts Peter out of jail. That's the power, guys, of a praying church. That's the power of a church that gets together and sees the value and the importance of prayer. Now, in May, we went to uh, our mission trip to New York City, as you guys know. And on Sunday, we wanted to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. It's a famous church, and it's a beautiful church. It's got like a theater setting. It's glorious. There's there's a balcony up above, and, and just it's, it's gorgeous, okay? It's a very warm and, and friendly church. The people are very kind. When you go in there, you're greeted every 10 feet. And uh, we got there probably 15 or 20 minutes before the service or so. Jay went with us. I was just checking with him. And uh, we came into the sanctuary, and you don't hear the sound of, of Pandora playing on the speakers, No you hear the sound of their uh, five Dove Award, six Grammy Award, 280 voice, voice choir singing, Worthy is the Lamb. You walk into this place and this whole place is exploding with worship to Jesus Christ. Church hasn't even started yet. The people are excited. They're just wanting to worship God, wanting to hear His Word. It's a strong it's a fruitful fellowship. And the preaching, Pastor Jim Cimbala preached a wonderful message about the kindness of our Savior Jesus Christ, how He just wants to bless us, how He just wants to be kind to us, shower His goodness upon us. It was an incredible experience. But you want to know what was amazing and interesting to me about this whole experience? Was thinking about the roots of this church thinking about how this fellowship got started. You can go to their website and check it out, but in the 1970s, uneducated Pastor Jim Cimbala and untrained uh, choir director Carol Cimbala uh, took over this struggling church. Less than 20 people. The choir, when she started it, less than nine people. The church was falling apart. He didn't know what to do. And you know what happened? God put it on his heart. This is what needs to happen if this church is going to be strong and fruitful. You need to get together and pray. 
And so they started a Tuesday evening Bible, uh, Tuesday evening, excuse me, prayer meeting. And because of that, because they got together on a regular basis, because they saw the value and the importance and the power in prayer, today that prayer meeting is over 3,000 people every Tuesday night. The church has 10,000 people that go to it. That means 33%, 30%, excuse me, of the church attends their prayer meeting. It's a powerful church. The, the choir now 200 and it's, it's mind boggling what God has done because these people got together and prayed. And so my exhortation for us is that we would be a church that follows the model of the early church and follows the model of this uh, modern day church and gets together and prays and God will do amazing things. We'll continue to be strong, continue to be fruitful and we'll grow. Amen? And just for what it's worth, we have a Wednesday evening prayer meeting at 6 p.m. You guys all better be there. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, we'd love to have you though. So Paul has a reason that he's praying. He has a frequency in his prayer and he has a strategy, okay? He's praying uh, with a certain goal in mind. The aim of his prayer is to impact every relationship that you have and to impact every circumstance that you will face in this life. And so he prays that, that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he prays that, that you would be filled, that you'd be filled, that you'd be overflowing, that you'd be overtaken with, with room for nothing else except that which is most important in life, and that is knowing God and knowing his will. Now, when we talk about the will of God, we're not talking about uh, what job you should take. Uh, where you should live, whether you should rent or, or buy or, or who you should marry or, or whether it's time to retire. No, when we're talking about the will of God in this context, we're talking about how to live worthy for the Lord and how to please Him in every way. And that knowledge is found in His Word. The knowledge of how to please Him and how to live worthy of Him is found in His Word, the Holy Bible. And that's why we here at The Rock put such an emphasis on the preaching and teaching of God's Word. As Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. This is most important. So if you come here on a Sunday morning, or you come here on a Wednesday evening, or a junior high or a senior high student and you come here, or you come for the young adults night, or you're back in the kids ministry, you are going to get the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Why? So that God's people will be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now he says, I want them to be filled with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, we need God's Holy Spirit 
to give us wisdom, to give us understanding. We need the spirit of Jesus to work in our midst with the preaching of his word to reveal to us God's will. We need him to be working to help us to make application of the things that we are hearing into our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that the spirit of God reveals the secret wisdom of God to us and that he is the one who helps us to understand what God has freely given to us. And so we can follow Paul's example and praying this into our fellowship, praying, Father, send your spirit, work in our midst, help us to be a church that doesn't just come to church, and listen to the teaching of his word, and then go home and and forget about it, and take it for granted. Rather, God, send your spirit. Have him working in our midst. Help us to be a people who who are coming here, eager to listen, eager to obey, eager to make application of your word into our life. Help us to be a people, Lord, who works out our salvation with fear and trembling. Help us to be a people who work out that which you have worked into us. You're pouring your word into our hearts. Help us to work that out, to make application into our day-to-day lives. Amen? So when we take this approach, when when we follow Paul's example, when we follow his strategy in prayer, when we pray that way, This is going to be the impact of our prayers, and that is our second thought, verses 10 through 12. He says, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. So, now before someone makes an investment, right, they want to know what is the payoff going to be. Before I invest, I want to know what is my return going to be? What am I going to get out of this? And so Paul says, hey guys, if you invest in praying for one another, then this is what the payoff is going to be. You are going to be a growing and fruitful church. You are going to be a powerful church, and you are going to be a thankful church. So first you'll be a growing and a fruitful church. You remember Jesus in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you want to grow, if you want to bear fruit, this is what you need to do. You need to abide in me. You need to continue in me. My words must remain in you. In other words, you're hearing his word, okay? You're being filled with the knowledge of his will. You're not forgetting it. You're not taking it for granted. You're allowing it to remain in you, thinking upon it, meditating upon it, making application in your life because the Spirit of God is working and giving you that wisdom and giving you that understanding. When all that is taking place, the natural result in the life of a Christian 
The natural result in a fellowship is going to be growth. Growth, spiritual maturity, people growing up in the Lord, understanding who their God is, what He has done and how He works. And out of that will come fruit. We'll be a fruitful Christian, a fruitful fellowship. We'll have the love of God abounding in our fellowship and in our lives. The joy of the Holy Spirit, the peace of God, and a church filled with faithful Christians, Christians who are faithful to their God, faithful to His Word, and faithful to one another. So that's, why it's so, that's one reason why it's so important that we pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding. So if we invest in prayer, we'll be a growing and fruitful church, and next we'll be a powerful church, okay, a powerful church. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. If all we did was come together and talk about how to live the Christian life, then this would be a waste of time. If that's all we did was talk about the Christian life, but there was no power available to us to live it out, this would be an exercise in futility. But the Christian life is not simply a matter of talk. For within each and every single born-again Christian lives, dwells the Spirit of Almighty God, the omnipotent Spirit of God, the same Spirit that created everything that we see and everything that we don't see. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He lives within us. The kingdom of God is not simply a matter of talk, but of power. And the Holy Spirit not only gives us spiritual wisdom and understanding, but He also empowers us in our inner being to live out the abundant Christian life, the fruitful Christian life, the victorious Christian life. Now that translates into something like this, a fellowship that is filled with families who are living in the power of God, husbands, loving their wives the way Christ loved the church, laying down their lives for their wives, wives respecting their husbands out of reverence for the Lord, praying for their husbands, encouraging their husbands, helping their husbands, children obeying their parents, Parents raising their kids in the nurture, in the love and teaching of God. Men and women living in the fear of God, respecting Him, giving Him the reverence and devotion and adoration that He deserves as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Living in holiness, saying no, no to sin, no to the devil, no to the world, and yes to righteousness resisting the enemy and submitting ourselves to Almighty God. A church that is filled with enduring saints. Christians who don't collapse and, and faint when every calamity and every trial and every struggle and every tribulation that comes our way, but we're filled with endurance. Church filled with patient Christians, forgiving Christians, 
Christians who are kind and loving to one another, bearing with one another, overlooking one another's offenses. So if we invest, we'll be this this growing and this fruitful fellowship, we'll be a powerful fellowship, and we'll be a thankful fellowship or a thankful church. Now, to be thankful, you need only to have eyes to see what someone else has done for you, right? Right? So as we, as a fellowship, pray for one another, pray that God would fill us with the knowledge of his will, as we pray that, that his spirit would give us wisdom and understanding and, and application in our lives, as we are doing this, we as a people will begin to see more and more of what God has done for us, of what God is doing, and of what God will do for us. And out of that, the fruit of that will be a church that is thankful. A church that says, thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. I deserve your wrath. You withheld that from me. Thank you for your grace. You have showered me with eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for your provision. Not only did you take care of my greatest need, the forgiveness of my sins, but you have supplied all my needs through your riches. Thank you for your protection, Lord. Thank you that for protecting me from, from silly decisions that I thought were good at the time, but you protected me. You closed doors. Thank you for protecting me from the enemy. And I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that even though I don't understand what's happening right now, I don't understand these circumstances, I don't understand what you're doing, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're with me. Even though times are tough, you're with me. You are with me, and so I am thankful. I thank you for your promise that you'll never leave, you'll never forsake, you'll be with me always, even to the end of the age, and you're going to work this out. You're going to work it out for good because you promised, and so I thank you, God. So if we invest in praying for one another, these are the things we're going to see. We're going to see a growing, fruitful church, a powerful church, and a thankful church. Now, that's incredible. Now, in closing, Paul is going to praise God. And this, this is fitting, I think, for us today. Because not only are you going to walk out of this church building with a reason to pray, but you're going to walk out of here with a reason to praise. So verses 13 and 14, he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, when I was a kid, uh, my brother and I went swimming at a dam, okay? And uh, for whatever reason, we decided to swim near the cement wall. You know, the wall on one side is the body of water, and on the other side is uh, the drop-off. And we could actually see where the water drained out of the lake and went down to the riverbed below. To get onto the cement wall, you had to walk across a graded bridge, and that's, the water went right underneath this bridge. So um, you could literally stick your feet in the water that was going off the little waterfall. Now, uh, for whatever reason, uh, we decided to jump off the cement wall into the water, ignoring all of the warning signs. And we got stuck because the wall, 
it's, it was too, too steep to climb back up. And so we're stuck in this body of water, unable to get out. And we're slowly drifting towards the drain, if you can imagine. I mean, it was, it was bad, okay? Thankfully... Some fishermen were in the area with their boat, and they saw us. They saw that we were helpless, that we were unable to help ourselves, and so they came over, and they threw out the life preserver, and they rescued us. Praise God, because I wouldn't be here today. Amen? I forgot about that story until this week. But that's exactly why Paul is praising God. He's praising God because he has rescued us. For whatever reason. Our parents, Adam and Eve, ignored the warning signs. God said, do not eat, because on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. You're going to be be dead spiritually. You're going to be separated from me. You're going to die physically. The whole human race is going to be condemned. You're going to have a sinful nature. But they rebelled. They ignored those signs, and humanity was plunged into the dominion of darkness. Each and every single one of us, a slave to sin, a slave to the devil. Horrible, horrible, separated from God with his wrath abiding upon us and slowly, each and every single one of us, day by day, drifting towards eternal damnation. But God saw us He saw that we were stuck. He saw that we couldn't climb back up from whence we fell. That we couldn't get right with him on our own. And so he knew that the only way that we would be saved is that if he came down himself. If he jumped in, if you would. And so he sent his son, Jesus, on a rescue mission. Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost, coming to the earth, God becoming a man and taking all of our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. As Peter tells us, Jesus bore all of our sins in his body on that tree. He rescued us by dying for us, taking a nail through each of his wrists and a nail through his ankle bones, and wearing the crown of thorns, being cursed and cut off from God for me and for you. He died for our sins. And then our blessed Savior rose from the dead, victorious over sin, death, and devil. And now he's throwing out his life preserver to the world. He's throwing it out. He's throwing out his promises. And he says, if you grab a hold of that life preserver, If you grab a hold of my promise, you'll live. You'll be rescued. You'll become my child. I'll forgive all of your sins. You'll be redeemed. You'll have eternal life. Your name will be written in heaven. You will live forever. Incredible what our God has done for us. Amen? You guys have a reason to praise God this morning. So walk out of this church this morning knowing that you've been given a special ministry from God. You've been reminded of a special ministry, refreshed and encouraged of a special ministry, and that is to pray for one another and to praise our great God and King. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much 
for the privilege that we have to be able to come before your throne boldly and to pray. And we thank you that you're a God who hears our prayers and you answer them. And so I pray that we would be a church that is always praying for one another, that we would not stop praying for one another, and that out of that, we would be a growing and fruitful church, a powerful church, and a thankful church that praises its God. In Jesus' name, amen.